Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give, and there's no regular commitment. Just click the link in the show description to support now. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me, because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. Hey friends, welcome to another episode of the Tennis and Bagels podcast. Uh, we are nearing the end of the season, the 2023. There's essentially only one tournament left to go that counts for points uh, to in the 52-week uh, ranking. I was about to say 52 year, but anyhow, um, which is just the ATB finals, but the WTA finals has already happened and we are in Billie Jean King Cup uh, week. Um, but we are here to talk a little bit about like what happened during the last tournament of the year on the WTA side, which actually got to define a lot of things in the WTA rankings with Iga Fiontek finally getting back up on top as the world number one. Um, I think she needed to actually win the title to become number one and Sabalinka needed to not reach a, a certain point, I believe, maybe finals or semifinals. Uh, everything just got, well, actually, never mind. She reached the semifinals. Um, but anyhow, everything kind of worked together um, for Iga Fiontek. She... Everything literally because she played some of her best tennis, maybe of the year, um, reminiscent of like her 2022, 20, yeah, 2022 super dominance. Some people would say even better uh, due to competition and all things like that. But uh, I'm here with Vansh and we're going to uh, tackle some of that. How are you doing, man? Yeah, doing good. Um, yeah, the WTA finals was was uh, was interesting in terms of in terms of the players, I mean, I have to say these players have performed really well throughout the whole season. So I was pretty excited to see kind of who would come on top, um, come out on top. And then obviously you had the number one ranking at stake uh, as well. And, you know, for most of the season, it was Arena Sabalenka who was having great results and going deep in all the majors. Um, and she had won her first major in Australia. But this WTA finals was really going to come down to... Um, the race for number one, but also who of these players is going to, you know, step, stand out because, uh, like, honestly, if you had told me before the tournament, I, I would have picked a lot of these players to go to go pretty deep. And so we ended up having a decent semifinal lineup with, um, with obviously, Goff coming out of the group stages, um, U.S. Open champion, and take playing against... Um, we, we, had, we had Goff coming through, we had Sabalenka coming through, we had Shvantec coming through, uh, and Pekula as well. And Pekula was super consistent throughout the season. So we ended up having um, Sabalenka versus Iga in the semis is when the tournament really ignited on the in, in the WTA finals because the winner of that was basically going to have a huge outcome in the year-end number one because if, um, if Sabalenka wins that match, then she's year-end number one. If Shvantec wins the semi and wins the final, then she's year-end number one. So it was, uh, you know, she basically had to beat Sabalenka in order to do it. And um, she did so in a very convincing, uh, dominant fashion. And it was 
quite a display from Shantek all week, really. Um, and on the other on the other side, it was for Pagula as well. She beat so many of the top players. She beat world number one, two, and three on the way to the final. So it was pretty impressive from from her. And both both these players were super dominant on their return. They were both hardly losing any any games uh, en route to these to these matches. Just handling the conditions overall a lot better. And the conditions this time of the year in Cancun, with the way the tournament was set up, um, super bouncy courts and extremely windy, extremely rainy. It's near a beach, and it's outdoors. So a lot of rain delays, a lot of um, a lot of just start and stop and, and play. A lot of high gust winds, and these conditions were brutal. So at, at times it affected the quality of tennis. But I was very, um, I felt bad for the players because it was just very uh, tough for them to. Keep uh, keep dealing with it, and it's almost impossible. If you've ever played in the wind, you know it's almost impossible to play good tennis in in, in those conditions or play any, anywhere near. And so the quality was um was was really uh, up and down, and, and and at times not great, but not 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 the players' fault. It's really just the conditions made it almost made it almost impossible. But I think uh, it really helped Shiontek, the fact that she um the her footwork is so amazing, how she's able to run get get herself around those balls, how she's able to you know, um, stay super low with her feet and the little adjustment steps that she makes. Uh, she has the heaviest forehand in the game as well and how she's able to um, put that extra top spin on it, extra safety, RPMs. And, you know, it was just it was just very dominant from her, but also she showed a great deal of adaptability throughout the whole week um, in those conditions playing against big hitters and she never never really looked like she was um, on, on her back foot that much and every time she was she relied on her amazing defense and athleticism to get her way out of points and I thought serving a lot better so we saw some things I want to say in Beijing and the US and the WTA finals that really made it that really showed that Iga's improved again as a player if we didn't think that was possible because as great as uh, Shviantek's 2022 was 2023 was great but um, she had won she had won Roland Garros but up until that point hadn't won a WTA 1000 yet and um, obviously was disappointed in her round four loss at the U.S. Open to Ostapenko. And at that time, it seemed like year end number one was not uh, was not necessarily a, a goal that was, um, you know, all that attainable. Like in the sense, she could do it, but it would it would just have it would just mean that she'd have to be perfect, basically through the end of the season. And she ended up losing um, in Tokyo to Kudermetova, but and that could have really set her back. Those really fast, ultra fast conditions in Tokyo. Um, not really finding her range or timing the first week, but then she comes out, she wins Beijing, uh, adapts herself to the conditions, and obviously here you had a higher bouncier courts. Um, they the and they really took Iga's kick serve very well, especially her second serve. And I thought, um, you know, she she just played extremely well, and and the final was one of the best performances I've ever. Semis and finals were two of the most singularly great performances you'll ever see from one player. And sometimes it's sometimes it's actually quite great to watch someone in that. In that mode, I always root for competitive matches. I want to see really great tennis that goes down to the wire third set. But at the same time, when you have all-time greats like Shiantek already is, it's kind of great. It's kind of I kind of take joy in seeing them in in base in beast mode as well because you, you kind of have those like singularly great individual performances where it's really all about them. Yeah, but um, it just makes you yeah. think at times like, oh, like what what can you do? Like there isn't much. Uh, I will say that I I definitely I think it tweeted that as well. I think Pagula didn't play her best match of the week. Again, like as you said, like I don't I don't yeah. blame her. Um the week was also really rough. Um I think it was probably just really rough like psychologically as well as physically, just because obviously you had to do a lot of the stuff and when you play in the wind as a professional, I guess you 
you have to flow a lot less uh, in terms of like how you're expecting the the shot to come and like the bounce. Um, things can change yeah, there. The bounce was a big yeah. thing for for yeah. Pagula because yeah. throughout the whole week she was used to playing hitters that were always kind of, you know, mm. e either hitting it much fl flatter or harder, and she was able to kind of absorb their pace yeah. very nicely. But Shvantec's ball is just different. Like it, yeah. it comes at you differently with the. And not only the MPHs, but also the RPM. I think that's like really different. I heard an interview from her before where she mentioned that Fiontech almost plays, like her ball is so heavy. It reminds her of some of the male players on the ATP. Wow. And I, I definitely see that comparison just because of how heavy her ground strokes are. And that when she's able to get the ball above Pagula's strike zone, it becomes really difficult for yeah. Pagula to like control the ball in those conditions. And honestly, I think she just came up against it on an absolutely spectacular day yeah, where for sure. she just could not... Because I think, you know, throughout the whole week, she she showed a good amount of medal to me. And I think, you know, I think she can be happy about her week overall and just kind of forget about the final. Yeah, for sure, yeah. It's 100%. not like she matches up very poorly against Shriante. She's beaten her twice this year. And they've had some close matches in the past last year at the U.S. Open. And I was there for the San Diego semifinal as well. I just think these conditions were just really great for Shriante. Yeah. And it was, yeah. it was Iga in her finals mode where she just was so locked in, so focused every single point where it was just... Um, it, it was just really hard for anybody to contend with that version. Exactly. I, and, and all that to say as well, that um, while I do think that Pagula didn't play her best, I feel like um, Shriantek was not in, in a mood to like um, let anybody try to play her best. Like I feel like Shriantek kind of saw that and just saw the opportunity. Like she didn't, um, she didn't try to be spectacular in, the, in that regards. Like she didn't go for like flashy winner, winners or anything. She just kind of went for um, the strategy and yeah. realize that Pig, yeah yeah big targets like realize that Pigula was not was misfiring a few shots and maybe just increased even like more the RPMs on the on the forehand just make it even more comfortable for Pigula to play and it was visibly like Pigula's um, frustration in in that match like she she couldn't find her best uh, game for um, yeah. x amount of reasons Shvantec being um, a beast <laughs> one of them. Um, I think I, I tweeted as well that on on the Dennis and Pickles account that uh, Shvantec is is insanely good. Like seriously, like she's she's a phenomenal player, and I think that even though she she didn't reach the heights of um, of twenty twenty two, she got pretty close. To be fair, like she got a Grand Slam, which is really great, and she she did pretty well, like in the in the WT Finals winning. She so she technically won to major titles and I said not major majors but like she, she won two really big titles um one fewer uh 1000s that she did last year I think she won like four or five she won four in a row I believe last yeah, year yeah I think it was going to be impossible for her to no yeah for sure. seven match win streak like win eight titles I mean she still won six and she won it she won one in every level so yeah. she won a 250 she won two 500s yeah she won the 1000 in Beijing she obviously defended her role in Garros which was which was big I, I said going into this year that if she was to win one major, that would be a very good year because yeah. I knew that the rest of the tour would step up, and that and and that's what happened. Like the top ten got better, uh, the field overall was was stronger. So to me, it's it's more impressive yeah. this year because it's just in so many ways the fact that she was able to win even more matches than she did last year. She was sixty seven wins and nine losses last year. This year she's sixty eight wins and eleven losses. Yeah, and most of her losses have come either to the eventual winner. Or like in Wimbledon where she lost to Svitolina, who was like on fire that week. Mm -hmm. So I think, uh, and and you know, she made improvements on grass. 
She got to the quarters there, and you look at all of her best results, even in the hard court swing when she wasn't playing her best. Still ended up losing to Pegula and Goff, you know, in hard fought matches. Um, yeah, and, and and obviously Ostapenko the next, and then and then the ways that she was able to overcome the Sabalenka hurdle here, yeah. I think I think it just makes her Player of the Year because if I compare her to Sabalenka, apart from Sabalenka having the deep runs in the majors, in the couple of semis and one more final. The rest of the season, overall, week in and week out, it was still Shriantek for me um, as as the the best player in 2023. And I think to do that after all the expectations of last season and this being like her backup season after after everything last year, like it's just, it just kind of this, she needed to win the WTA finals for me to like cement that. But mm-hmm. now that she's done it, it's like, okay, like deserving world number one year and number one, deserving player of the year. And it kind of like, there's like no debate anymore. Like it's, because normally sometimes like it's kind of interesting if they all win yeah, yeah. one major or they all like we still had four different major winners, but I think she really separated herself in in terms yeah. of winning this. Title. I think it, in terms of like how we compare with last year, and that it's a comparison that I don't really like to make because it's those are two completely different situations. But like, um, she was a clear player of the year last year. I think Sabalenka did get close this year. I think as you're saying, like I feel like the WT finals really just cement. Oh yeah. Like, Cemented the position, yeah. just wearing the like, oh yeah. Also, no. winning two of the yeah. five, like to win two of like the WTA finals isn't a major, but in terms of points, in terms of prestige, you're playing a top eight yeah. player like every other day. So, in terms of winning that, I think it really counts as like you could say like two of the five biggest tournaments were won by were won by. Eden. No, yeah, and, exactly. Yeah. And the fact that I think they played each other three times and she got the better of uh, of Sabalenka twice, that just kind of I, I guess would further like strengthen her her case. For sure, yeah. I think, yeah, it's... I don't think there is there is a discussion to be had in terms of, like, whether Fiontek is the player of the year. Although I do feel like it's good to see that Sabalinka put up a, a really big fight for that position. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, and it, it, it's, it's like it, very impressive yeah. that yeah. she even got to number one and held it for eight to ten weeks. You consider where Sabalinka was at last year. Yeah. I yeah. mean, when she couldn't get a serve in uh, at the start of the season and she struggled with those woes and... The amount of improvements that she made technically, yeah. physically, and like psychologically throughout this whole the, the whole off season, you know, bringing someone in like biomechanics, fixing her the technique, the hitches on her serve, and yeah. the kind of tennis she was playing in Australia, and then to to lead the race this whole time until the WTA finals uh, over Shiontek, like obviously winning the Madrid final, which is which was yeah. a, a very very high quality match from both of them um, at at various points, and then and then like just like the consistency is not something I would have associated with Sabalenko before the start of the year. Like mm-hmm. you go semifinals or better at all five of the biggest events is really, really uh, something like that. That hasn't happened before since in, since 2006, Justine Annan made the semis or better of all four majors and the WTA finals. So been like 17 years that someone has done that in the same season. So Sabalenko for her, like in terms of her, it being the career best season and in terms of it being uh, like, Something that she could, she could still definitely, you know, win more big titles. Mm-hmm. So that's and and maybe maybe even get the number one again, again at some point. But just the fact that she was able to get it in for eight weeks yeah. when Shiantek had that much of a lead after last year is yeah, it just speaks to how much she's improved. Yeah, and correct me if I'm wrong, but I think Sabalenka beat Shiantek last year in the WTA finals, right? She did in the semi the semifinal match. Yes. Yeah. yeah. And just to correct uh, a previous thing from the last episode that we that we got pointed out, uh, Garcia won WTA Finals last year. 
uh, and not yeah. Sabalenka. Uh, and I think, I don't know if I said it, but it doesn't matter. Uh, Garcia did win. Um, it wasn't her best follow-up season, but um, yeah. It's... I guess that would be a good, uh, that would also mm. be a good case that, you know, it's, it is possible to carry the form over to the next year. Because yeah, yeah. like Sabalenka, even though she lost in the final, she still got to the final and yeah, it was exactly. probably her best result of the whole year. Last year, and then like the fact that she was able to take that and then win the warm-up tournament into Australia, and then win the Australian Open. Mm-hmm. So, so that's good um, because sometimes like the year-end finals has felt like a little bit of a curse for the next year. But yeah. that is also counterexample. So, I, I would say Sabalenka is probably the counterexample to it, and then maybe Ash Barty as well. Yeah, and I think that um, I think the prospects are good, like especially since how much we spoke about the conditions of like Cancun tournament. I think. Um, if yeah. Sabalinka and uh, Shriantha could meet in the, in the Australian Open next year, I think that would be a really interesting matchup. They would. Like, the rivalry itself has been very fun to follow. Like, they've played each other nine times, and it's mm-hmm. it's six and three in favor of Iga, but they've split their last four matches. Yeah. Uh, and also, like, it's, you know, it's just like the, the level of ball striking and intensity really stands out when they play each other, even if the match is one-sided. I always feel like it's a really fun match to watch. Because actually the semis and finals, the wind did die down a little bit. Like the conditions were more playable. Mm. So the quality of tennis improved even if it even if the score lines didn't show it. So that was uh, that was at least better that it kind of finished with those key matchups that we really wanted. Because like Sabalenka and Iga playing each other in, in that match with all the stakes being what they were, like that's what you want in a in a in a competition like this with all the best yeah, players. Like exactly. there to be be the highest stakes and it felt big. Like there was a lot of hype going into the match. And we thought we'd see them play many more times after Madrid, but it just like never really happened. They always like lost one round before each other, and you know, like you, you want to see like that rivalry and also clash of personality. And I think it's like it's all there because like yeah, like Iga has to like make the adjustment to finally play someone who hits you know heavier and harder than mm-hmm. you know than than most players, and and then like Shantek has to kind of counter that. And in, in the past, like against the very big hitters, like. Oh, Ostapenko or Butina. Sometimes it, it, it's possible when Shantek is not feeling her best to uh, kind of feel like she has to fight fire with fire and yeah. try to out-hit them at their own game. But I think Shantek really made those adjustments and realized that she can rely on her ability to be so tough to get the ball by, kind of like how Goff did in the last two sets of the U.S. Open final against yeah. Sabalenka. And then it can frustrate Sabalenka and force her to go for bigger and go, yeah. for, go for more, especially in, in conditions. And she also had probably was thinking a lot about the number one. And the, yeah, that's because it because it, it's definitely it's definitely something more relaxing about being the chaser and being the one like because after Shriantek held the ranking for seventy five weeks, I think it really helped her that she wasn't number one again, because yeah. like just to find that hunger to improve as a player, that motivation to like feel like okay, I have to chase someone down, but at the same time, it's not the top of my mind; it's at the back of my mind, but I can just focus on. Like what we have to do in these hurricane conditions, like point by point after point. And I think she's she's kind of good at doing that. Like the intensity and like when she's locked in, it it reminds me a lot of uh, of some of the very very all time greats like Steffi Graf or like Rafael Nadal when he's dominating on clay. Really, like it's just it's just that relentless footwork and intensity. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I uh, forget what I was going to say, but yeah, it was uh, in line with that. Um, I think. Um, yeah, just excited to see more of like Shriantek and Sabalenka. I think maybe this is going to be something about um, Sabalenka after losing the U.S. Open final. Um, always a little bit harder to make a, too many adjustments at the end of the season. Um, things are kind of like trying to not necessarily slow down, but like 
sort of like looking forward to end that is like a mental and psychological, even physical fatigue that's starting to build up towards the end. But <clears throat> I think the next season, um, it might show sort of like some of the same that uh, Shriantek did this year in terms of adjusting to big hitters and uh, styles of play. I think Sabalenka has the opportunity to, to show some of that as well, like to hit past um, big defenders as well. Um, which kind of has proven like a, a good strategy against her, which is not easy an easy one because Sabalenka hits really hard. But if you're as fast as golf or um, uh, Sviantek, uh, it's definitely something that you can keep up. Uh, you also have to be fit for for this to work. But um, you can if you can get in in her head, uh, it's something that is a strategy that is worth trying. And I'm excited to see like how she's gonna try to combat that like in the future. She's gonna try to hit, um, try to finish points more at the net. She's gonna try to like use more spin, more slices, like more drop shots, like add some variation, like just you know, um, yeah, something something that she might want to try to change. But it's it's going to be interesting to see like what she and her team come up with. It will be, yeah, because um, she's certainly a capable volleyer, mm-hmm. um, and she's obviously like she's she's done a good job in terms of like her transition game at, in doubles. Uh, when she's won, she's won slams, um, at and finishing points at dead. But she obviously prefers to be the one dictating from the back of the court and prefers to finish points up there. It will be interesting to see if she uses a few more angles, mm-hmm. like tries to hit behind her opponent a little bit more, and uh, not force the issue so much. I think sometimes she falls into that trap where her footwork, um, like and balance is just uh is not always fully there so like she was taking these really really big swings but sometimes like the little adjustment steps and the footwork or or, or like the back swing is just not quite in sync mm-hmm. and that that can obviously happen when you're playing somebody who is like chasing every single thing down mm-hmm. and getting it back and getting it back deep like right at your feet and it's like those little like quick reactions but it could also be it could also be like kind of a mental thing because um yeah, like if she takes a little bit off, like 10, 15% off, mm. and then just gets a little bit more safety, that would, like we've we've seen her do in the past, but if she's just playing like first strike tennis and uh, the whole time, like she will against most players, she will get the chance to do that. So it's just, it's just, uh, it'll be interesting to see like mentally how she deals with the latter stages of these events, knowing that she did it already once. Um, that should give her confidence, but also like the first half of next year is where she has a lot of points to defend with the Madrid title and the Indian Wells final, the Australian Open final, the Australian Open title, of course. So, so at this point, it, it it's um, it feels good for it would feel really good for Ego because she'll go into this off season with more weeks and then also just potentially she's the one with a lot to gain having lost in the fourth round last year to Rybakina who was. Which is uh, in, in some ways a pretty tough draw because Rubikina was was really uh, you know not playing like whatever she was ranked at that time, mm, yeah. right? Because of like the Wimbledon points, she was ranked uh, outside the top ten. So, yeah, which is actually really great to see that she was able to um, yeah follow that and up. Of course, it like, would see. Yeah, it would be fun board. to see Shviontek. It would be fun to see Shviontek and Ostapenko play each other again. Mm. Uh, Shviontek and Rubikina. I mean. Uh, Ostapenko and Rybakina seem to be the biggest uh, challenges for Shantek right now, like the flatter, harder hitters. Yeah, the huge serve as well. Yeah, huge serve, huge return because against Rybakina, like she just doesn't let you do, get that first strike mm-hmm. that Ego's usually looking for in those 
really fast conditions in Australia. So it's going to be fun to see like how Shantik handles that. And if, you know, because she's, she's also like always tinkering and improving and doesn't really like leave a stone unturned when it comes to owning and the game and working on a few more things. I saw her hit a few more drop shots, even against Jabari. Yeah. And actually she was a player who used to hit with a lot more variety before 2021 or 2022, believe it or not, Shantek. Like when you watched her win the French Open in 2020, she was actually using a lot more slices and drop shots and kind of doing, uh, mixing things up. And then sort of after that, she's become predominantly a baseliner. Yeah. But it seems like by all accounts, they're always working on stuff in practice and trying to change things up and just give herself a little bit more options when she's playing, when she's getting out hit um, mm. sometimes. But yeah. the second serve sometimes can be talked about as a weak, uh, as a bit of a weakness for Shriantek, but I will say in conditions like this, it's a bona fide strength for her. Like the bouncy, high bouncing courts in the, um, like especially on clay and also in conditions like slower conditions like this. Mm-hmm. It's really hard to put her on the defense after she hits a second serve because it's pretty effective. Yeah, for sure. It's usually out of the opponent's strike zone. Yeah. And if you wanna if you wanna listen to a more detailed account of Sviantek's win at the WT yeah. Finals, you can actually go because Varsh has a, a a different podcast as well with uh, Damien Kust, Kust, who's been uh, a guest on this podcast before. Uh, shout out to Damien um, and his Challenger Tour uh, coverage, which is amazing. Should give him a follow. Yes, yes. And you should give a follow as well to Iga and Carlos, the podcast that Vansh is also a part of. And they went into a deep dive of uh, her um, yeah, every final. Yeah, we talked about basically talked about all five matches and what stood out and how she, the different game plans that she used in all, in all five. But, you know, basically she just, yeah, it was her adaptability that really stood out. It was her ability to defend it was her the dominance behind her serve and also just yeah the ruthlessness and the mentality that we saw so kind of already covered like like in pretty good detail here but check out check out that podcast because that's an ego and ego and carlos one that damien and i have started about six months ago and it's it's uh it's going well so far damien is such a pleasure to host this with because he's his knowledge of every single player basically in the top 500 is is always unparalleled so definitely give him a follow yeah for sure, and um, and yeah, uh, and if you've guessed it, it's Iga and Carlos because the podcast is mainly about Iga Shiontek and Carlos Alcaraz, the leading players of the next generation in WTA and ATP, something like that. Yes. <laughs> that's a that's sort of like your tag for the. <laughs> yes. Yes. And yeah, yeah. Basically, like generational talents kind of achieving big things at the same time. Mm, so yeah, it's fun to kind of chronicle their careers and you know, look back on it like maybe 10, 15 years later and then just see because I think they're very similar in terms of how they approach the game, like what their strengths are, even though they're on opposite tours and just, yeah, them achieving these things at the same time. So it's kind of cool to chronicle their careers and then talk big picture about the rest of the tour through their lens. So yeah, yeah, it's it's exciting. We've done about 14 episodes. It's not the most regular show. It's usually when they're, only when they're playing their tournaments Mm -hmm. and they don't play a whole lot of tournaments compared to everyone else because when they do play they win a lot so that definitely <laughs> that definitely helps contribute mm-hmm. to it as well so when we do do an episode then we usually have quite a bit to talk about yeah but um but also like i'm very impressed by pagula just yeah in terms of the season that she put put up to finish the year in the top five to do everything that she's doing in doubles mm-hmm. along with uh, along with coco i think at some point 
it just, uh, you know, it's just so impressive that she played over 130 matches in singles and doubles and kind of week in and week out. Like, no one is really grinding like her on the tour. And uh, the run that she had to the final was absolutely amazing in terms yeah. of the beating Sabalenka and Rabakina in the round robin group and the way she, she was able to do that in straight sets and taking the ball so early on return and just playing very, very smart and throwing in slices, coming to the net at times. Like, just some of the best times I've ever seen her play. Um, in her career and pretty dominant and um, yeah and then also, also her interviews are such a pleasure for me to watch because she's yeah. so real you know it's just, just, just it's so real and relatable even though you know obviously like she comes from a very elite like financial background yeah. but you just wouldn't know that when you talk to her because it's it's just like yeah very real and down to earth and I, I'm pretty sure that like no one has a bad word to say about her in terms of yeah I love her I love her demeanor she's like ambassador for when me. she's a yeah, when she gives interviews, when she answers questions, when she talks to people, even her Twitter is really funny. Oh, it's uh, hilarious! Like after the after the final, she put up this amazing thing on Instagram where she was just like, "I got taken by the Ika factory bakery factory today, lol," or something, um, and it's just like, you know, yeah, it, it's cool. Like she has a very good good sense of humor, and she's in the player council, and she's just yeah, like she's she has such a great personality and. So she's like one of my favorite players to listen to and yeah. and and to watch as well because there's a lot of like subtleties in her game. Like if you just watch her on TV, you wouldn't think that she's hitting the ball so hard, but it's very accurate. It's very deep, very hard, flat. The strokes, the way they're able to penetrate through the the problem was against Iga on this court in this matchup. It was just going to be really difficult for her yeah. to get that timing and control right. But now, yeah. but I think like this should give her a lot more confidence to kind of break that quarterfinal hurdle. That uh, yeah, I was going to say. In majors and and also like see what happens if she cuts back on the doubles, which I think she's planning on doing. I saw in uh, interview yeah. her. I think her and Coco are willing to cut more. Yeah, through. they they want to they want to continue their same plan until the Olympics because they want to you know go go for that gold. Mm. But after that, uh, after that, I think it makes sense, especially where they're both at in their careers, and they're like ten years apart, but they have such a great relationship, and they're like yeah, yeah just double threats and they both yeah. mixed as well so yeah I mean yeah. like it's it's not very usual that you have like two players in the top five in singles like also do the same in doubles and mm. like contend for these titles every single week so yeah I don't yeah. know how she's playing so much but it's yeah <laughs> it's, 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 I think it's it, it, yeah it probably helps in the sense that that um knowing Coco so much and like having good partnership like in doubles I think they're able to kind of like take it easy on that in that regard. Like not necessarily that they don't don't put the effort in, but I think there it's, it's it probably becomes easier to play like with a partner and like doubles. You're essentially always kind of like running less and doing a little bit less effort in that regard. And they being good singles players as well, uh, they do hold a bit of an advantage off the ground in doubles. Like that's one of the main things that you see. Like if singles are performing well is mostly because they're able to push the the double specialists off of the net so like if the if the double specialist cannot get to the net um and be able to control the point from there um it gets harder for them because most of the time they are they don't have the best of the the baseline games and um, so it, it becomes a little difficult um and that's why like but it, it not to say that double specialists are in great players in doubles as well like it's not like a a singles player can just come in and just win yeah. See, every uh, time. But Krachikova. Yeah. <laughs> for as an example. Yeah. But yeah, and on that note, I think I, I was really 
happy for Dabrowski uh, this year, uh, going in with uh, Aaron Rutliff, um qualifying for the WT finals, reaching the semifinals. I think may may have been the first time that they did, so I haven't checked, but yeah. or also maybe not. But anyhow, I was I was a little upset they didn't make it all the way, but they won all three matches in the round robin, so that's really good. I think it could be interesting, like for this partnership in the future. I know doubles isn't the most uh, the most liked um, part of uh, tennis, I guess, but it's it's fun. I would say uh, I would recommend people watch at least around the semifinal stages of a uh, big tournament. It's it's normally kind of like a lot of fun to do. Yeah, it's very fun to watch live in person. Yeah, that too. Um, it's uh, yeah, it's a very good in terms of. I mean, I really enjoyed playing it when I was younger and juniors, and I, I, I found it really helped my singles game at times. Mm-hmm. And also, it can be just very good in your off days as well, like when you don't have to. Uh, if you don't, you know, you can use that as kind of a, a way to warm up or work on things in your singles that is like pretty transferable, like yeah. returns and, you know, quick reaction time and volleys and, and also just like the chemistry with the, someone else who, and you have to adapt your game style according to the dynamics of the team. So, yeah, well, there's there's quite a lot of benefits to it. And on the WTA, you also have a lot of crossover where like you have Krachikova and Yakov are both pretty good at singles, and then Pagula Goff as well, and then. Like some of these doubles teams, you know, like it's, uh, it's pretty, it's, it's actually like getting quite deep. It's pretty hard to like crack the top, uh, mm-hmm. nowadays in, in both, uh, disciplines. So, yeah. And I guess speaking of, uh, so just a pretty good season also for golf. Yeah. Um, and the singles also to get to the semis here. Uh, it wasn't her best week. She was never really playing her best tennis yeah. this whole time. The serve was kind of all over the place. The forehand was, was tough when the wind. Um, in terms of in terms of dealing with that, she's no longer working with Pereira, uh, so it's just Brad Gilbert now on 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 her team. But I I don't I don't know. Like I mean, it's still a very very good year. Like to oh yeah, U.S. Open win Cincinnati, win Washington, like that yeah. whole summer, the summer of Coco, and then basically cement her place in the top four. And you know, the rivalry with Chiantic will be fun to follow. It sort of went back to the pre-Cincinnati times, the twice that they played in Beijing and here. Actually, she started to play really well in the second set against Shuantek in their round-robin match. Mm-hmm. She actually served for the second set at 5-4, but then unfortunately in that win, in those conditions, she yeah. uh, broke. Ba- she got broken back. She hit four double faults, which is yeah. which had to have felt pretty brutal uh, and demoralizing. And then yeah. we ended up losing, but I, I, and I honestly thought after that it would be pretty tough for her to recover. But Von Drosova served for the match against her for a straight set win. Sure. And there were it was such a back and forth match that one, um, with so many momentum swings and she ended up beating Wanderers over six three in the third and getting to the semis. And I think by the time the semis happened, she also came up against Pagula and they, those that matchup is always uh that matchup is interesting but at times also a little awkward because they know each other so well. Yeah. And they're such good friends and then every time they have to play each other in singles. So far, it's been Pakula who's had the edge three out of the four times they played. They they also played like that one really good match in Montreal, where yeah. which was like golf only lost in the summer, and that mm-hmm. during that. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two year contracts, they said, "What the f- are you talking about? You insane Hollywood ass." 
So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Burrow is a furniture company known for timeless design and thoughtful construction and free shipping. And that extends to their outdoor collection. Their outdoor furniture is built to withstand the elements. Featuring rust-proof stainless steel hardware, weather-ready teak, and quick-dry foam cushions. For Memorial Day, get 15% off your Burrow purchase at burrow.com slash ACAST and up to 25% off outdoor. That's up to 25% off outdoor furniture at burrow.com slash ACAST. Stretch after Wimbledon, but... Yeah. Yeah, I mean, she still got to the semis, so, you know, I mean, hats off for getting through it despite, like, not playing your best tennis. Yeah. But also, Goff said that he, she prefers Toronto over Montreal. So uh, I'm, I'll be happy that Pagula, Pagula won that one. And and that was a joke. But oh, yeah. I, yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yes, because you're from Montreal. So. Yeah, I'm in Montreal. And, yeah, it's, uh, and yeah. apparently, Pagula's grandma is from Montreal. So, wow. <laughs> what a connection. Eh? So that's really good. Yeah, oh, that that's quite something. Because if her yeah. grandma is from Montreal, her mom is from Seoul. And she's won a title in Seoul and in Montreal this year. So that's... yeah, wow, that's true. She's just been raking up titles wherever she she lives. She only needs like the American one, you know. <laughs> There's that really cool story about how she was adopted. Her, her mom was adopted. Yeah. Um, and like she ended up winning that title in Seoul, and yeah. uh, like her mom uh, and the orphanage, and she visited that orphanage four years ago, and then like it, it basically meant a big deal for her to yeah. win that. For sure, proving so. Yeah, you know, I mean, like the top five is very strong right now. I mean, you have like basically like Shiontek and Sabalenka and Goff and Rybakina and Pegula. So, hmm. yeah, that top five is 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 very good. Yeah. And uh, yeah, speaking of top, but you said before top eight, now you're saying top five, but the the top eight. Uh, with the ATP uh, has finally got their all all of their eight qualifiers for uh, for Turin. Uh, it got decided in Paris uh, after Paris, I believe, which is what we are going to chat a little bit about here. Um, obviously, not as not a, a big of an event as the WT finals, so we're not going to spend that much time on this one. But um, good good week, good tennis. Um, had some of the schedule woes, but uh, I mean. All of this should be somewhat resolved uh, when things switch to a two-week uh, Masters. I'm not sure if Paris is going to switch to a two-week. Yeah, Paris, but... Paris and Monte Carlo are going to remain one week. Yeah, so uh, that's going to be that's going to be interesting. Yeah, it's going to be interesting. Yeah, it was a little tough on the players, of course, to play you know six matches on, on, on that one center court. But I think, I think uh, they'll learn from this and yeah, sort of for sure. next, certainly in the future. Like it, it was just very ambitious for them to. Yeah. Schedule six matches, so you had matches finishing at two thirty in the morning, yeah. four, and then the players like not having enough time to recover the next day. Um, Sinner obviously having to pull out because of fatigue, so that was that was kind of unfortunate for the tournament because such a good player uh, had to pull out because of yeah, I mean scheduling and some of that. It's uh, yeah, I mean I'm sure they have their reasons because like the second court is not, uh, you know, is not not really one that. Uh, like they don't, they don't. They basically only have one really good court, and in, yeah. in the Paris Masters, the the other courts are just not 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 big enough or spacious enough to accommodate the the ticketing, and then and then you have the day session and the night session, and you have to get doubles in. So eventually, it all it, it all it, it was tough scheduling wise for those four or five days. 
Mm-hmm. Uh, but I think the, I think the organizers will look at it this for for next year and probably yeah. do this a little bit differently. Yeah, and Paris is an established event. Like it's been running on for so many years now. It's not like they don't know what they're doing. I think it must have been like some sort of like trial. Um, but yeah. in any case, they still got a pretty good tournament. I mean, Djokovic the won. Were it. fantastic. Yeah, and yeah. Right, right from the right from the first few matches itself. Like you had, I mean, you obviously it was an it was unfortunate for those thirty six plus year old veterans who all lost on the same yeah. day, basically with with having match points, but it was also a reminder of like, I mean, just the fact that they're still playing at such a high level. Yeah. Because I mean you had you had Andy Murray losing a heartbreaker at Divinora again. Very rough. Had, yeah, yeah, super brutal. And then you had Divinor, I mean you had team beating Stan Wawrinka. Wawrinka served for the third set had match point. You had one feast losing to Surundolo and then you had Gasky losing to Tommy Paul and all of them losing to, you know, Losing to pretty good players in their own right, uh, but it was it was these matches were just so dramatic, and they went down to the wire and match point saved. And I guess it it also kind of reminded me of the things that Murray and Vavrika and Gasquet and Wanfis were able to do this year at mm. certain points in the year. And yeah, I mean it's even though they're getting towards the end of our their careers, they're giving their fans so many uh, moments of of, uh, of of a great level, even if it's not always converting to wins. Yeah. Right now, it's uh, yeah, it, it's just a reminder. Like I saw a stat today that eight of the top one hundred players are thirty five plus. So and eight and of the top one hundred, yeah, are thirty five plus oh, years old. That's so not a lot of people, but that's <laughs> not a lot. Of, that's not a lot, but it's still uh, you know it's still a, a lot more than probably previous. Yeah, uh, for sure. Five years ago, ten years ago, it, it wasn't yeah. wasn't as common. Obviously, with the with the big three and what they've done and. The old era, it's uh, yeah, yeah. It's still they're still playing at a pretty high level, but yeah, it gives belief, I guess, to people that to players who are like reaching that um that phase of their their lives and they're it's kind of like getting yeah having a, having a you know a great season overall because it was just very consistent and always losing to the top players, but finally now he's put together a few weeks where he's beaten Alcaraz, he's beaten Bruna, he's beaten. This week he beat Medvedev, Tsitsipas, and Harkach all indoors. Yeah, those are some really good matches. He's uh, Dimitrov has had been playing some in very good tennis. Honestly, I felt like that was one thing that I really wanted him to do, which was like just kind of take more initiative in points, to be more aggressive. Um, I think he's yeah. got good quality in that. Like he's extremely athletic and he likes to defend. Like he kind of like needs. He kind of has a, a a tendency to stay a bit passive. Like I guess in his points. But he he was taking it initiative when he needed to when he wanted to like he, he had a few really good backhand uh, downline winners versus um, against Tsitsipas um, just taking advantage of the fact that Tsitsipas stays so deep into his backhand corner that like he was um, so good in that third yeah. tiebreak yeah Tsitsipas I mean the passing shots he was coming up with on the run on the forehand and yeah. uh, basically had no inroads into the Tsitsipas serve in the in the third set the whole yeah. time. I think it's supposed to won 20 out of 23 of his service points. It really looked like he was going to come out on top, but then yeah. in the third set, and then also their history, like of Dimitrov had never had beaten Sitsipas in a tiebreak ever before. Mm. They played each other seven times before this, and Sitsipas yeah. was six and one. But what a level from uh, what a level that, he that played tiebreaker, yeah. The third set tiebreak, and Sitsipas, I mean, he just took a couple of loose errors, but Dimitrov played like outstanding. Like to yeah. those, he had this one ridiculous Too fast shot, yeah. yeah. And then yeah, the, the two two on the backhand, one on the forehand the passes. So four really really good points out of the seven that he won. And then you know obviously serving great, and he really he stepped up his level in that 
mm-hmm. that's a tie break when yeah. he's not always been known to do that the last four or five years. He hasn't won a title since 2017. Mm. He's lost a lot of semifinals, but uh, so yeah, I mean, it, it, for him to come through at 32 and and still play at this high level is still pretty pretty mm-hmm. impressive. And kind of his season, I felt like deserved a moment like this because before this year, I mean, you can look at all of his losses, but it was all basically all pretty much to the top guys and he was always winning like two matches every single week and always putting himself in those positions so he was kind of playing at a top 15 level but the results weren't really like showing it because he wasn't yeah. ranked high enough to meet them later in time. yeah it's like just draw so, draw is always a tough thing it's if you're not ranked super high you're, you're always going to run into players like that so, and, but but yeah. since the US Open I can definitely say he's been playing at a top 10 for sure level so that's uh and then actually getting more days wins, so that was that was good to see. I agree with you about like him being more aggressive, mm-hmm. uh, because he has such a good backhand slice as well that he just, yeah that stays so low, especially on these indoor courts in Paris. It was just skidding and staying so low. It was such a um, a conundrum for these players to deal with. Yeah. And then he's looking to open up the court with his forehand on the next shot, mm-hmm. either go inside in, inside out, come to the net, use his athleticism, defense, and rallies, um, serve, but. But against uh, against Djokovic in the final, I felt like it was a combination of him obviously feeling the effects of all those big wins, and then also yeah. just the the matchup being rough for him. Yeah. Against uh, someone so complete like Djokovic, it was just, I mean, Djokovic wasn't at his best this whole week either. But he's he just did what Djokovic always does, and yeah, just, like pretty much just just found the way. It's just amazing that he still has this drive and motivation to like yeah keep winning. I mean, obviously he still has like a lot of goals that he. He wants to achieve, like, this was his 40th, the Masters 1040th. Like, it's just, 40th, some of yeah. the numbers are, are ridiculous. You look at, like, this is his 70th big title. Like, he's at 97 titles now. Like, you know, Federer had, Federer had 103, Connors had 109. So, like, I mean, he's going for those records as well. And yeah. now it looks like for sure he's going to finish the year number one because he basically has to win one round robin match, regardless like of what Alcaraz does during the week. So it's pretty much sealed. Um, yeah. Just just needs one more win, basically, and then he'll he'll have it for eighth year. Mm. It's just, seven was already a record, so eight is just extending it, and then yeah, it also means he'll be at four hundred weeks. True. By the time the year comes around, so yeah, another amazing season where he's he's fifty one and five, and so he's won six titles and he's only lost five times, and like in eleven tournaments played, which is which is just uh, which is just yeah. nuts because he can he's at a point in his career where he's clearly picking and choosing his spots because he's yeah you know he wants to peak for the biggest tournaments but yeah i mean uh, somebody's got to crank up this difficulty in the game right cuz djokovic is too good now his next level <laughs> it is i mean and and to be honest with you like rublev played a very very good match in the semifinal yeah. like he played he was a good really, match really well like it was it was probably the the best tennis that Rublev can play, to be honest. Yeah. Like the way he was hitting the ball so deep on his backhand side, like being so aggressive with it. Um, you know, really the pace that uh, that he was. Uh, Djokovic made this funny quote, like after the the match was over, he compared it to like a snake uh-huh. and a frog. There's something about like the snake suffocating the frog. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it reminded me of like some of those Steph Stephisms in yeah. the buzz quotes. <laughs> but 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 basically, like he had never played a version of Rublev who was who was that good Yeah. Uh, prior to this. Those were his words. But And obviously, like, he wasn't feeling his best in these matches. Like, he was he was going through some back issue at the end of the second set against Rublev. Mm. And he, he had a stomach bug the whole week that he was uh, he was dealing yeah. with. So his match against Greek Spore, 
he won ugly and ended up winning that in, in, in three sets and just raising his level in the clutch moments like he tends mm-hmm. to do. And then the match against Runa was probably the most exciting one of the week for me because Runa obviously beat him in the final here last year from a set down. He's the only player in the Masters final to ever do that to Djokovic and he has two wins against Djokovic. And he led the head-to-head 2-1, including one match this year in Rome. So, And Runa was a player who was really struggling for form. But he just shows up against Djokovic. I think I think Basti tweeted that. But yeah, and he was he. I could see he was playing at a better level already in Basel, getting to the semis there. Yeah. Before Felix just uh, dominated him in that semifinal, but yeah. but then but then this week he was looking really good up until the quarters, and I knew it was going to be a very very close match, and it was going to be because they they also play like somewhat very similarly against each other, and Luna doesn't have that many weaknesses. Uh, in the kind of matchup and the fabric of the rallies that he, he likes against Djokovic and he, he kind of backs himself and he plays with a kind of confidence. Mm-hmm. This is what Owen also tweeted that he plays with the kind of confidence that you wish a lot of young players would would against Djokovic but he also just has that game and yeah. well-roundedness that I think uh, can stay with Djokovic and remains to be seen in best of five of course yeah. because there's still like you know the physical concerns with Runa with the cramping and then also just the shot selection at times but uh, he was he, he played a very good match overall. It's just at the start of the third, uh, he f- clearly felt the fatigue a little bit and, uh, you know, ran out of gas to a certain extent, but he's just kept holding serve as well. Yeah. So his serve is very good indoors as well. And he's, I feel like I've seen him play his best tennis indoors. Uh-huh. Obviously last year and then also also this year. Yeah, but uh, but Djokovic to get through Greek sport, Runa Rublev all without playing his best, and even in the final, I'll be honest, he didn't play his best. Yeah, but he just he didn't do anything really all that spectacular in the final. Yeah, he just sure. got one more ball back, super deep, forced Dimitrov into a lot of errors, and Dimitrov felt like he had to overplay a lot of the time. Yeah, and uh, he got out of a hole a bit in the in the in the final game, I believe. Uh, Dimitrov, I think, had a break point in uh, five four in the in the in the third. So the that's the set. yeah, the only game that I felt like he really had a. He had to work. To do something was the final game of the first set, but you got to do. Oh yeah, that was that one. Yeah. And I was like, okay, maybe he can get to a break point here. Maybe yeah. you know this this match can can start to change a little bit, but it never really looked like that because yeah, the you know I also thought Djokovic did such a good job of dealing with Dimitrov's slice. Yeah, uh, he kind of has his uh, a, him a the, great slice of his own. So I think he, he was able to he does maneuver yeah. but, that as which, well, which is which is um not something he had, I would say, in his game like well throughout his career. No, no, absolutely not. But but like now he's even good at that too. Like this just not uh, because like that's how Dimitrov usually like he breaks your contact point, he hits the slice super low, and then he sets it up with the forehand. But Djokovic is like my backhand is good enough that most of the time I don't need a slice. When I do slice. I'll slice back really, really deep, and I'll just neutralize their slices. Yeah. And so it was just, uh, yeah. And yeah. then, and then I think the games where he, he got broken, Djokovic just kind of recognized I just need to be solid, and Dimitrov will probably overplay here, and he's he's yeah, feeling percent fatigue, and I don't know, like Djokovic, he just he he, he can win in just so many different yeah. ways, and he's he played a lot more of like a mental mature game, which is obvious it's Djokovic, but yeah, it's a lot more a lot more so than he needed to do like actual shot making, which is um, you know a shame for 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 Dimitrov in that specific matchup. But as you said, like it's it's always tough, right, against against a, a guy like Djokovic, 
um, when yeah, and then there was that moment after the match where he was he was in tears and crying, and I yeah. think he was just upset that he couldn't put together a better level in that final. For sure, yeah. But then Djokovic like like uh, stopped in the middle of his post match interview and then went and consoled him, and like I think he re- he kind of realized also that he uh, that he's been in those situations also a little bit himself. Yeah. Oh yeah. Where he's like he's like not played his best in a, in a final, or he's had like a very big week that's physically exhausting, and then just didn't show up for that final match, but. I don't know, yeah. like Dimitrov is, is is was one of those really good stories where it's just like he's a very good guy. He works super hard. He's obviously been number three in the world before. He's had success, but nobody really believed deep down that he could do this again so consistently yeah. and so that he can he can do yeah. this again is uh, yeah. Yeah. It's a feel good week. Yeah. I mean Djokovic is, is a guy who's been winning for so long now that we forget that like back in that time between like 2006 up until 2010 he was you know losing some of those big matches like consistently enough um he won a, 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 a few of his big ones he wasn't number three um for a reason but he, he he did take a few of his losses against Federer and Nadal like in his day so he knows what it is to lose I guess like in, in a big moment like that yeah um, and then you had that those years between 2012 and 14 where he won one major every season but yeah. No, he was losing like those major finals. Like he lost a couple in twenty thirteen to Nadal, and he lost yeah some 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 bigger matches like the Olympics. So he, you know he he he's also been in situations where he's lost more finals than he'd won. Like at one point he yeah. was six and seven in major finals, and then he just completely turned that around. And yeah. it's insane because like the older you get, the less clutch you're supposed to get. Like if you're a normal, like just a normal be. great, you know. Yeah. <laughs> Even if you're just a normal great, but Djokovic is just so insanely like I'm kind of running out of superlatives in terms of like like how consistently like it's just different like well, honestly the Benjamin Button of uh, of tennis whereas it's just like like he, he's, he's almost like in his prime right now which is yeah. it sounds ridiculous and like in some in some cases he's, he's like I always struggle with the question like is he a better player now than he was 10 years ago like I, I think the better way to put it is he's more complete and evolved yeah than he was Sure, maybe he's like a touch less explosive. Maybe he's a touch less this thing. But if it is, you it's not like very noticeable compared to even like you know his his peers like Federer and Nadal. It was more noticeable when they were yeah thirty six, thirty seven. But this guy is just like it looks like he has two more really good years in him. Yeah, and just the way he takes care of his body and the way he's like peaking and taking time off. Like these breaks don't seem to like really affect his win rate. You know, which is like. Kind of, kind of an unheard of. He has the luxury to do it, but it's just like the rate at which he's he's winning these big titles. That's crazy. Yeah, yeah. And uh, it, I think one of the things that you said, like just to go back before a few players and names you've mentioned, I think a big shout out as well to Titi Paz as well for like coming through. Um, hasn't had like the best of seasons. Um, still a good one in 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 a few ways. Uh, Australian Open final as well. He he's gotten there. I was having I was going through like a, a bit of a difficult time, like second half of the season especially. But I think he played some of the best tennis like all year, like honestly in Paris as well. I think he was also hitting his backhand better, especially off of the slice. Yes. Um. But obviously the thing that stands out the most is how much better his confidence was, like in in general in his game, but specifically how insanely well he was serving. And his forehand was 
by far a, a whole lot better than he's been like in a few other matches in this season. So I think he, I think he could be a really interesting like player in Turin as well if he comes in with that same um, the same confidence. He's been a winner there as well. I think twenty, I want to say twenty nineteen. Yes, when he won nineteen, yeah. yeah, and I agree with you. Like his, he, he was he was playing a lot better this week, and and not just this week. Like in Vienna as well, he made the semis yeah. and the week before that. So that's three really good weeks that he's put together in the European indoors, which which is which is good, much needed for him because he won Los Cabos, and then he was not in the best moment of his career until like basically those those next two months. Um, some off court stuff as well with uh, with his dad and. Uh, the coaching um, switch up and like not having one consistent voice with Philippusis. Um, obviously, also uh, in a very happy time off the court with his relationship with Paula Bedosa, mm. which that seemed to be getting a lot more media attention than his tennis. Yeah. Uh, so, 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 so there was that. But, but honestly, like he also, like he, yeah, after the Australian Open, he also had like a, an injury in February and March. Like yeah. he was playing Indian Wells in Miami, but he wasn't healthy and he just didn't want to get penalized. Yeah, so he had the, that shoulder injury, and then and then I think the Alcaraz, uh, in terms of his clay court season, he kept he lost to Alcaraz in the Barcelona final, and then in Roland Garros quarterfinal, and then and then his, I think his grass court season was was better with Wimbledon, uh, and then and then Los Cabos, but really like since Los Cabos to now he, he just wasn't in the best phase, yeah. uh, I would say, but like now he's serving great, his transition game is as good as ever, his forehand is. This is effective, and the backhand doesn't need to be a major strength. It, it probably won't be, but it's just it just has to hold up. It just has to be sturdy. It just you know he has to get in deep. It has to he has to move back on the second serve return. He has to you know just to, yeah, he was using the slice a lot more this week. Yeah, which was good against certain players. Like it, it worked very well for him against Hachanov, and it worked very well for him against against Zverev, uh, because those are both players who are not as comfortable moving inside the court and. It worked. It worked very well against him. And even though he didn't win the match against Dimitrov, he showed this level. And he didn't have his best tennis that day. Honestly, in the in the semifinal, he he kind of played a poor game to lose the first set, to lose lose serve, and then he was kind of fighting back. But then I I actually thought that he would take he would take the match. But it was Dimitrov's outstanding tennis of the third set yeah. tiebreak that that got over the line. But Stole it away. his level was very good. So yeah, if Tsitsipas carries this level into Turin. Depending on which group he's in, and he's he's won this tournament before, and I don't know, like I just would not rule him out for winning big titles because he's he still has this level where his forehand is so elite to me that yeah, yeah it's still it's like a, uh, like it's still a top three forehand in the game. Uh, yeah, and and, and on look at it. Yeah, and it, on indoor courts, I think it's really important. Like the the tools that he have are essential really like a big serve big forehand i think it's going to be really good for him like uh in on indoors or in any indoor course where he's feeling comfortable and confident in his own game which is speaking of like um i know you were mentioning before we started that like you're you had like some uh combinations of players that you wanted to see in the groups in the turin like what what are those who do you want to see like uh, what matchups are you more most interested in yeah it's a good question like uh, obviously the, the thing also is like um you know, we also had Alcaraz losing early in in the indoors, and it, it, obviously this will be his debut at the ATP final. Same with Rona. Yeah. So, like that—that's going to be the biggest question mark: is how will they handle their debut? Obviously, where is Alcaraz right now physically as well? Because he mentioned mm-hmm. he was struggling with the with the back issue and then also the foot problem. So he he, he said going into Paris, I'm not a hundred percent, which didn't look good to me going into the into that match. And he also just came up against a very talented big hitter, 
who's kind of like Karatsev and he just takes the ball really early. And Roman Safiul in that as we made a Wimbledon quarterfinal this year is having a fantastic season inside the top 40. And he caught Alcaraz kind of when Alcaraz wasn't worked into the tournament. And so it was a very good win for Safiuland in that match. But also like Alcaraz indoors this time of the season after a long year. Possible that we might not see him get past the group stages. Yeah. Because of the how, how strong the the field is and also just where where he's been kind of at since the US Open. But I would say in terms of the groups, we know that Alcaraz and Djokovic can't be in the same group, and we know that yeah. seven and eight can't be in the same group. So Runa and Zverev can't be in the same group. Sinner and Medvedev can't be in the same group because three and four and one and two with Djokovic, Alcaraz have to be in opposite groups. So I was thinking that we've seen Djokovic and Medvedev play already quite <laughs> this thing this year. I don't know if I want to necessarily see that in a group stage. Like kind of again, I'm just trying to think of like new possibilities and new yeah. new. Uh, Outcomes like I would really like to see Sinner play Djokovic. Oh yeah, that's a good one. Uh, because because Sinner like has shown quite a lot of improvements against Medvedev, um, and we've seen that matchup already now twice, and it was great quality tennis. But I'd love to see him in the same group as Djokovic, so they play each other in the round robin. So Sinner Djokovic, I'd honestly like to see Sinner play against play against Tsitsipas uh, again because yeah. they they had a very good five setter at the uh, Australian Open and. Sure. That went Tsitsipas's way, but you know, Sinner has improved so much this year and he's had an overall very consistent year and is is four and kind of took over Tsitsipas in that fourth spot. So I wanna see I wanna see them play again and see how it would be indoors. So I want Sinner in the I want Sinner, Tsitsipas, Djokovic, and I would even say Zverev because I wanna see Sinner play Zverev again after the US Open match. Yeah. Just to see if um if like he can deploy the same tactics that he did against Medvedev and it, it work against another counter puncher, because I'm sure that he, if he plays at the level that he's at, he's very much capable of of beating Zverev also. Yeah, and and I'd, I'd love to see him play Djokovic again after the Wimbledon semi, and then also Tsitsipas. So honestly, him being in the same group as his losses in the majors would be another good indicator of just like where he's at. And obviously, he wants to peak and do very well because it's in his hometown. Yeah, it's gonna be interesting. The first time he's actually playing, he qualified in twenty twenty one, but he was an alternate. Yeah, so it's it's gonna be a very big event for for Sinner, and and also the fact that he pulled out of Paris with the with the fatigue, I think he's gonna be more well rested as well. So I expect mm-hmm. to see a very good Sinner here, and he could do some serious damage. So that that would be one group, and then the the next group for me would be Alcaraz Runa. I want to see them play each other again because yeah. they played at Wimbledon and. You know, you just want to see that that rivalry. Yeah, has. and it, it wasn't the best representation, I think, of how good it can be. I think Alcaraz yeah. is a lot more seasoned, uh, which is funny to say because he's only like twenty years old. But yeah, yeah, it, it definitely did not deliver to the hype that Wimbledon match yeah. for sure. So that's why I want to see that again, and then also Medvedev because the the Medvedev adjustments that he made at the U.S. Open yeah. uh, against Alcaraz and the, the two one-sided matches. So I want to see Alcaraz, Medvedev, Runa, uh, in the same group. Yeah. We'll see, yeah, that would be the one that we're missing. Oh, Rublev, Rublev would be there Rublev, as well, of course. Yeah, because I want to see, I want to see Alcaraz Rublev. They haven't played each other, so yeah. that's that's another one. Um, that would be interesting, yeah, because like Rublev has a, a yeah, forehand yeah. that Rublev against yeah. Rublev against Rublev would have to play Medvedev, Alcaraz, and Runa. Rublev and Runa, we've already seen twice this year, and both times it was it was Rublev who came out on top and yeah. and clutched those wins. So I want to see that match again. I want to see Rublev against Alcaraz because yeah. they've never played. So how nice. does that match look like? Yeah, hopefully the group's actually like that though. I feel like, yeah, yeah, yeah. No. So I, I don't know, like, like, and and you can you can flip flop, like I don't know, Zverev and Runa because like, like seven and like one has to play eight first. One one either will play seven or eight first, 
and yeah. two would either play whichever one one didn't get. So yeah. we're like kind of guaranteed to get like either Djokovic versus Zverev in the first day or either Djokovic against Runa the first yeah. day. And then same with like Alcaraz is guaranteed to play. Yeah, Djokovic Runa again would be very interesting. I think I can I think it would be could be really fun. I think it's a it's a lower yeah. It's a lower stakes match if they actually get to reach like first first match in a round robin. I'm pretty sure Rune will be want will be wanting to get the win again. And Djokovic is Djokovic. He doesn't really want to just throw away a win uh, a match just for that. Also, which is by the way, like as you said before, um, Djokovic is is probably gonna look for that one win at the very least. Um, yeah, the, he wouldn't the... want to stop there. Like if he got that for one, sure, yeah. because the thing is that yeah, like you don't know. Like even two wins sometimes is not enough to qualify for the semis. It's rare, yeah. but it's happened before. So. Yeah. It's like one of those where every game matters, every set matters, mm-hmm. and it's there's like a lot of points. Like every round that you win is two hundred points, which is more than getting to a fourth round of a slam. Yeah. So, um, so yeah, like the the, the points and this thing is is huge. Like, uh, obviously, Djokovic has won this title last year, but yeah. and like he hadn't won it since twenty fifteen before last year, so he actually like hadn't played his like his his very best at this tournament before um, in, in some years. And then he also is like really gunning for the Davis Cup because he wants to do well at the Olympics. And, you know, it's like very important for him to represent Serbia and play his best tennis yeah, for his country. So, mm. yeah, that's going to be interesting. And same with Sinner, actually. Yeah. Sinner is also in the Davis Cup uh, finals. Yeah. Could get Djokovic Sinner again in the uh, Davis Cup. And well, we'll also get Djokovic Murray. Oh yeah! Excellent. Oh my gosh, that's a that's a matchup that a lot of people had been wanting before, but now I think they're like less keen. <laughs> so we'll see what yeah. happens. Uh, um, yeah, Murray probably like hoping that Djokovic kills himself like in uh, in Turin and just plays like only three setters and then just comes in like extremely tired. <laughs> yeah, we're just like playing yeah. the match of his life for for three. Oh yeah, and yeah. just like you know like I, I'm still excited to see it even if it's like a one-sided match winning yeah. Djokovic like just seeing that rivalry again would just bring back so many memories of my childhood sure. <laughs> yeah and, and I'm pretty sure the handshake is going to be very cool as well <laughs> yeah yeah and especially like them knowing what, what Djokovic like knowing what Murray has gone through for yeah. so many years with this with injuries yeah. and everything I'm sure it'll be a a cool moment and it would also be a big moment for Davis Cup marketing in the in a in a sense. Oh, like, huge! Like they could really use that to like I don't know fill up the entire stands. Like absolutely, yeah. Even if it's not in uh, in either Serbia or uh, United Kingdom, I'm pretty sure people are gonna show up just for that. Yeah. Even though I'm pretty sure a lot of people will definitely be thinking that it's not going to be much of a. They're not gonna have high hopes. There's gonna be much of a match, but it could be still. Who knows? Yeah. Davis Cup. Um, Davis Cup tends to bring a lot. Uh, from players, so it could be it could be a good match. Yeah, for sure. But but yeah, I look forward to seeing how Turin plays out with the groups and and who who ends up taking that that big title. Of course, this week we also have Mets and Sofia, kind of lower stakes because the mm-hmm. qualification have already been been it's already over decided. Yeah. But I want to see like I'm looking forward to seeing like we'll see if like Jack Draper can win his first title. Mm. In uh, in Sofia, there's like Jack Draper going for his first title. There's Jan Lundstrup, Hatchinov will probably try to win Mets again, uh, yeah. or not again, but just win another title this year because he already won an earlier one. Yeah, in Zuhai. So, yeah, there's some there's some kind of um, lower 
like stories at the 250 level this week that I, that uh, will be cool for those individual players. Yeah. And then you got the Billie Jean King Cup this week as yeah. well with uh, with Canada actually doing really well so far. Yeah. So Good match today uh, between uh, Leila and uh, Saribas Tormo. Almost they three hours. The best in each other. Yeah. yeah. I mean, the Saribas Tormo also just brings out the best in a lot of players. And a lot of players, yeah. Yeah, grinds and defends. And, yeah. You know. It's just tough to get the ball past her and some, yeah. It's nuts. It's a really good. It's a really good tournament, honestly. Like I, I really enjoy watching those uh, team tournaments. Hopefully, they get a little bit more, um, um, you know, going on for for them in the future. Top players going in. Hopefully, Shrianta can play for Poland at some point. Yeah, uh, it's yeah. something that she's even so complaining about. That's one of my wishes for next year. Is that's one of my wishes for next year is if we can get that scheduling slot right. Yeah, and we can have, like we could have had Pagula, Goff, and Shriantek also playing this week along with Krichikova and Rabakina yeah. and. No, we would have had most of the top ten right there. Yeah. So that's, so that I think is is something the WTA is going to look to do next year along with their finals. Yeah. Um, and we'll know we'll know more ahead of time mm-hmm. where yeah. it's going to be, and then it will just help uh, it, it flow a lot better organizationally. But I think, uh, but I think still with the names that we have in the Beijing King Cup, it'll be, it'll still be fun to watch. And, oh yeah, for sure. It's uh, it's already fun. So. Yeah, Canada and even the US has a has a decently strong team with even without. Um, Pagula and Goff. So, yeah. yeah, we look forward to seeing how the team events play out. There's still next gen finals coming up yes. where Arthur Fees will be the number one seed. Yeah. So, we're not going to have, you know, Shelton or obviously Runa and those, those other guys. Yeah, Lissetti as well. To see, like, yeah, Lissetti as well. We're not going to have, but we're going to be able to see like some more new faces that uh, are, mm. we'll see much more of at the top end. You know, from the marketing standpoint, that event has been pretty successful, I would say. Yeah, in terms for of, sure. Like, you look at the years and the lineups, it's usually translated pretty well. Although not so much for Brandon Nakashima this year with uh, with uh, some injuries in the first half of the year, but it did work out very well for the Hechka, who lost in the final. Yeah, yeah. we had a pretty good year, so. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Um, so, yeah, we'll see what happens in the, the team events and the final in Turin. And uh, yeah, just try to follow a little bit of the smaller events as well this this week without burning out too much. But yeah, yeah. so yeah, I can uh, almost through. We're almost we're always there yeah. to uh, the the final stretch where we can have our wonderfully long uh, off season, <laughs> which is uh, the three weeks for season. <laughs> yeah, yeah, which which is like yeah, tennis basically never stops. So yeah, there's just uh, living, talking, breathing tennis. That's yeah, what we do here. Yeah, crazy stuff. All right. So thanks so much for listening. Thanks so much for, for joining again uh, this week. Uh, of course, you're a part of this podcast. So, uh, yeah. It's always good to, to have, you know, maybe one day you can get like us, us three together. Um, and uh, shout out to Owen as well. Um, yeah. And uh, you can follow us on our social media. Varsh is at Varsh2K. Uh, Owen's at Tennis Nation. I'm at Rollenberg Andre. And we are at Tennis and Bagels. And uh, we'll see you guys next time. See ya. Yeah. Cheers. Yeah. Mom. 
Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market.